Hello everyone and welcome back to the Affinity Podcast. My name is Alex and today you'll have to forgive me for sounding a little bit raspy as I'm currently just getting over a cold. Nothing special, but that's where the extra slight huskiness is coming from. But that shan't stop me from being extra excited for today's guest. Chris, or Commander Mechanic on the internet, has built a sizable following on YouTube as well as various social media platforms all about helping players tune up their decks, explain game mechanics, and delving into the more sophisticated nuances of the game. Chris holds a wealth of knowledge on both cards and their interactions, and I'm very pleased to be talking with them today. Hi, Chris. Alex, how are you? Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being on. How is it over in your little corner of the world? Oh, it is beautiful. We are like peak summer right now. And in Canada, it's like we get eight weeks of summer uh, surrounded by winter every year. So I'm going to take as much opportunity as I can to enjoy this right now. It is beautiful. I'm touching all of the grass that I can. Well, you're definitely getting a lot more summer than we have. We get a week of it and then we're lucky. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the, then the rain clouds come back over. Right, right. Now, right now, it is it is beautiful. It is gorgeous. I've just spent most of the uh, the morning and afternoon outside. Ugh, I couldn't ask for more. But then, because something I do know is about you, you are probably one of the most prolific video producers in Magic. <laughs> and, that that word comes up a lot to describe me prolific because <laughs> i know you have a very interesting job which i would like to get on to uh you have a family you have obviously friends social circle and you also look relatively well rested more than i definitely <laughs> so my first thing is um how much of your soul did you sell to the devil to have this level of time management <laughs> look i uh, i the the other thing that I sold my soul for was to look relatively younger than I am. So I, I've, got, I've got some years of seniority on some people that get into the content game. And it's that level of experience, let's say, that lets me uh, gauge and balance my time enough to juggle everything that I do. <laughs> Genuinely, me and Mon have both our full-time jobs. We have a dog. And we're like, right, we can get a video out every two weeks between us two. And like, oh, Mechanic's posted something. I'm like, but how do? How does he do this? <laughs> yeah, my, my current schedule right now is two long-form videos a week, two short-form videos a week, and a stream a week. And that's uh, and then any any guest streams that I do playing on other people's uh, streams or shows is on top of that. So, yeah, it kind of does require a lot of juggling, but I I love it. Uh, This is this is something that I've picked up just over the past two years. And uh, I found I, I really enjoy it. It's. Uh, We were talking a little bit before we went live about routine and accountability and discipline. And I view my content creation like that. Uh, Having that routine, having that discipline gives me something to set my watch by. And I I, I love doing it. It, I've really taken to it. So are you one of these spreadsheet people or just a case (laughs) of I need to do this, I'll go do this? Uh, no, no, uh, you should see my calendar app on my phone though, uh, because that is where I keep track of everything. That's where all of my alerts are. That's where my get started on this video is. And then I've got a pretty extensive 
uh, folder system on my removable hard drive where I have a bunch of video ideas. And when it comes to sitting down and producing a video, I grab one of those. I say, is this relevant? Do I have an idea for this? Am I passionate about it? Yes, let's go. Uh, do, well, you know, you're only these people who has like a billion folders on their desktop, are you? No, no, oh, no, no. no. I, again, like I've got, I've got a removable hard drive, and that's where I keep like all of my folders and all of my files. I keep my my computer and my hard drive clean. Like that's for my photo editing and my video editing softwares. That's for any games that I have. Uh, otherwise, like all of my files, all of my backup lives on a hard drive that is removable, and I can archive that if I need to. God, your FBI agent must be so bored. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, they've got a pretty interesting search history. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, of... when you do things, when you do regular searches like Reign of Blood, oh, right? yeah. uh, like, you know, <laughs> magic card names can get uh, pretty confusing for the untrained eye. <laughs> but you're speaking all that about song being relevant. Like, this is something we find, like, you'll have a really cool idea for a deck and then you'll look at your schedule and realize, right, it's going to come out here oh dear, that's three weeks after the sets come out, no one's going to mm -hmm. care about this, no matter how cool you think it is. Yeah. Like, do you find that's a bit of a... It's a bit of a letdown, almost, that, like, you really want to talk about something, but you're worried that a lot of the audience won't be as engaged with it just because of the timing. And, and that is exactly the issue that I ran into recently. Right now, we're at a time where we've had Streets of New Capenna, Commander Legends 2, Battle for Baldur's Gate, and now Double Masters 2, all revealed within like six to eight weeks of each other. And uh, I planned for six weeks of Streets of New Capenna content, and I got to do two of those six weeks worth of content before Streets of New Capenna wasn't relevant anymore. People were now searching Commander Legends 2, Battle for Baldur's Gate. Uh, and then now that we're into, uh, and we just had the full set list for uh, Double Masters 2 revealed, a lot of people are going back and revisiting old commanders since they're going to be able to get their hands on them now too, which means we've had two sets full of brand new commanders, full of cool new stuff, and suddenly everybody's interested in old commanders again. It, it, is, uh, it is exhausting to try and keep up with this and try and keep relevant. Uh, and again, like best laid plans are laid to waste. And that's exactly what happened when I had all of those folders, like I said, on my hard drive, which is like, you know, here's two decks a week for six weeks. That's 12 new brews. And I managed to get four of them out and that's it. it yeah. It, it's exhausting. Yeah. People don't need to realize like it, it takes a while to do a video, especially when you're trying to keep it to the relevancy of it. I, I genuinely, gun to my head, I could name three maybe legends from Baldur's Gate. And that's <laughs> just because of the speed at which it was New Capena, Baldur's, Dull Masters. And I'm yep. just like, New Capena, a bit more, because I love the mobster 1920s vibe and it has mm -hmm. a good affinity mm -hmm. for me, if you'll beg the pun. But... <laughs> The rest of it is just a case of, right, now we have to be all about all the reprints and stuff like that, which are great, mm -hmm. but they could have waited a little bit. Right, right. And, you know, cognitive dissonance, you have to understand from a corporate standpoint why they're on the release schedule that they are and how 
standard sets, supplemental sets, and reprint sets are all on a different calendar schedule for them at Wizards. And this is just like the stars are aligning in the wrong direction here, where these are coming out in such uh, rapid frequency that, I mean, now I think we aren't getting previews again until the end of August. So we've got, uh, I think, 10 weeks at this point until the next reveal season starts, the next preview season starts. If, you know, either uh, Commander Legends 2 had been pushed a couple of weeks or Double Masters 2 had been pushed a couple of weeks, that'd be a much more reasonable schedule as content creators for us to uh, cater to the relevance of these new sets. But unless you're doing content creation as a full-time gig, which you're not, I'm not, but there are many out there that are doing it, it's really tough to stay on top of that relevancy. Uh, and especially because YouTube are, you know, are overlords in content creation Crazy algorithm. Here. Yes, yeah. They, they really want to be seeing a video a day for best exposure and best frequency. And gosh, even I do not have the time for that. Like you, you do have to have a full, it has to be a full-time job. You get up, you do your research, you do the video, right? You do your research and think for the next day and so on and so on and so on. And you just keep going like that, which is fine for your full-time job. There's loads of podcasters that I follow that do that, which is great. Mm -hmm. But when you're trying to do this as a hobby that can then maybe turn into something like there's a lot of people like um like Mudster's a big one always comes to mind because it was only a year or so ago where he made that leap to say right i'm now going to do this full time yeah and that is a massive leap of faith to stop doing a quote-unquote proper job and actually do what you want to do right right and and it's a a big moment in a creator's life cycle and lifespan where they say this is now sustainable for me where you know what you're you're doing and what you're making on content creation equals out to what you might be doing during your day job uh, and for a lot of people that that's never going to come it's just it's never going to be the case whether it's because you've got a really good day job or because it's really slow to get the content creation game up and running uh, but as a as a solo creator, and uh, I mean, you you and Martin have each other to rely on here, at least. But as a solo creator, uh, I, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to be in a circumstance where content creation is going to be a full-time thing for me, which personally I'm fine with. I, we, we've talked about before. I, I don't know how it works in Canada or even in the States, in England, teachers' wages provide you pass, um, a little, essentially a check every year. Have you hit a child? No. Fantastic. Your pay goes up a set amount every single year. So it will right. never be sustainable for me as a teacher to do content creation, just literally because unless you are game night and you are Josh Lee Kwai, you'll right, never right. get the same lifestyle. And, and typically you can see it, uh, in a creator's life cycle when they get to or surpass that like 100,000 subscriber mark when they get like their their YouTube play button kind of thing that's where you can say ad revenue is probably at a spot where uh, you're going to be able to be sustainable here look at Patreon revenue look at sponsors you can probably make a pretty decent paycheck off of this and I mean 
I, I'm not anywhere near that level after two years of doing this. So I'm being realistic. My day job is a pretty cushy corporate gig. And I mean, content creation is never going to reach that same level of compensation. Yeah, which is a bit of a shame. I know you're wrong. I'm not a person of like everyone should do what they want. We still need people to do roles and jobs and stuff. Yeah. But like it does appear, and I want to know how much you think of this is true, that people do seem to think of YouTube content creation as, oh, well, it's easy, it's cushy, you, people are paying you through ads, and you've got patrons, and hey, you just spent a whole two minutes of the video talking about a sponsor. You're raking it in. Do you think there's that much of a massive disconnect between the content creators and the fans, or do you think it's just angry people on Twitter? Uh, I, I think that it's uninformed people making assumptions. Uh, and look, I, I mean... Most arguments start by uninformed people making assumptions, uh, and that that's perfectly fine. Look, if somebody wants to make assumptions, I will open up my revenue generation for my channel and show them, like, this makes less than a part-time job does for me. And that's that's between sponsors and ad revenue and everything. Have you so, ever been on that uh, website that calculates YouTubers' income? Oh god, social blade. Yeah, that's the I think one. it's called. Yeah, it's yeah. Hilarious. Where where it calculates a content creator's uh, quote unquote net worth. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's not gonna happen. We are we are uh, worth four hundred dollars a month, guys, and we promise. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, like, especially because when you look at YouTube, uh, you need to hit a certain subscriber count in order to even monetize your channel. I was. Uh, almost a full year into content creation before I was able to monetize anything on my channel. I think I made it like eight, almost nine months before I was able to monetize anything. So all of the hours that I spent on videos, all of that time during brewing and creation and content creation and production, I wasn't getting paid for that. I was making nothing from that. My Patreon was like $50 a month. So anything that I made off of that went immediately back into buying editing software, upgrading hardware, getting new cameras or lights or whatever it might be, buying cards so that I can play decks on stream with people to promote the content that I was creating and making nothing for. A lot of people think, hey, you're on YouTube, you're making money. That's not the case. That is 100% not the case. And I, I've now been... Uh, monetizing my channel for a little over a year at this point, I make like maybe a little over 200 bucks a month on YouTube ad revenue. I, I posted to Twitter recently that shorts, uh, YouTube shorts, which are the majority of my viewer traction, I'll post a short and I'll get 20, 50, 100,000 views on it. YouTube pays me literal pennies for that. Like I... Uh, I got 222,000 views on my shorts last month, and YouTube gave me $14 for that. Yeah, so when, when people think, hey, you're a content creator, you're raking it in hand over fist, uh, oh, that is not the case. I know a lot of people that try and get into content creation, and after just their first few months, they're like, I'm hemorrhaging money here. This is a hobby. This is a hobby about a hobby. So look to spend money doing this. I, after two years, am finally at like a break-even point where my costs, my time uh, are, are breaking even right now. And I get a little bit to spend on magic, which is why I started this hobby right now. So my hobby is paying for my hobby. Yeah, That's about it. 
And there was a guy who unfortunately quit doing content creation. Uh, it was um, a, a um, budget commander, and he was lovely. I miss him deeply. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but he literally said, because he was one of the first people we ever talked to about it, and his first thing he said was, this will never make you money. It might sustain you for the hobby, but that's it. 100%. Yeah, it, and, that, and that's a good way to look at it. Like, this is a hobby that supports your hobby. Exactly. Yeah, that's all. And if everyone doesn't know, it does also get you valuable skills. Like, I don't know about... Oh, yeah. Because, like, me and Martin had no idea how to edit a video, do audio, script a thing. <laughs> and, like, even now, we're still, like, tweaking stuff. Like, doing my deck text, we just recently did a new format that seemed to work. Like, this is, what, three, four years in for us? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, when, when I started content creation, the first video that I put up on my channel, which is a Nethroi aspect of death. Oh, uh, the Abzan Mutate. Uh, yes, the Abzan Mutator. Uh, so it was a tune-up of a friend's deck that they gave me saying, hey, can you make, uh, can you help me with this? I made a video about that. That is literally the first video I ever edited. I edited that and I put that up on YouTube and that is the first thing that I ever edited. So I taught myself Photoshop, I taught myself Premiere, uh, I just watched YouTube videos on how to do these things and it's entirely self-taught. And I started that with the idea of I'm going to learn a skill set. I've been involved in production and I've been involved in marketing for my day job, but it's not something that I've actually been hands-on with so now i get to see what goes into the sausage and shout out to all the youtube tutorial people you literally make the world go around jesus Uh, absolutely absolutely like if i want to know how do i multi-track things how do i put this there there is a youtube short for that immediately and it's Mm -hmm. beautiful Mm -hmm. oh how, how do i do like this transition or you know how do i make a card look 3d like all of those really cool things like how do i how do i do custom titles like fly-ins or lower thirds, those kind of things. Uh, honestly, you are a YouTube search away from being as skilled at this as, as we are, right? <laughs> I think it does take like, that huge amount of skill and time to do it. And like we're not editing people, but you become that as a YouTube content mm-hmm. creator. And what, what do you think about, not about, but I do you think now, because you've been doing your two years, we've been doing like three-ish. Probably should remember this, but eh, <laughs> COVID happened, time doesn't exist. Right, right, and right. Now I do see so many more channels that are starting out, which is so good. Like when we started, like there was a few that started with us and a lot of them have dropped off and it's just... Like, do you ever feel that, or do you ever see that of people just dropping off and stopping doing the content creation? Do we do you see it as much? Uh, I I've seen it a lot lately. Um, there was a generation of content creators, myself included, that started at the beginning of pandemic, uh, where they said, "Hey, look." Now's the time to learn a skill. Now's the time to be involved in my hobby. I can't play with people, so let me do something about my hobby to stay sharp, to stay involved in it, whatever it might be. So there are a lot of people that started at this point two years ago. Uh, And now that things are opening back up, people are getting back to their day jobs, people are able to get out of the house. Now, just this year, a lot of those people are now falling out of love with the content creation 
hobby aspect of it and getting back into I'm going to go to my LGS and I'm just going to play the game. And honestly, good on them. That's fantastic. Uh, if, if this isn't something that you want to do all the time and you did it just to do it for the time being, fantastic. More power to you. Learn a skill. You don't have to master a skill. If you had fun with it, you had fun with it. Move on if you feel like it's not going to be for you. Uh, and like that happens. You, you pick up hobbies, you drop hobbies, whatever. It's fine. Um, but I, I have seen a lot lately that there have been a good handful of creators that started around the same time that I did, came up with me, some of my first collabs, they're now stopping content creation. They've either stopped streaming or stopped releasing videos for whatever reason it might be. And again, perfectly fine, perfectly healthy, no fault in that. Yeah, which is just always a bit sad, but obviously it's what people need to be doing and what people want to be doing. But hmm, trying to articulate this is quite difficult because I love mm -hmm. people doing content creation. I dislike people stopping because it sort of refines it at a point of, oh, well now, like we found this. Like when you see people stop, who we are terrible for this of comparing yourself with people, like they've stopped. Oh, yeah. But they're so much better. How could they stop? And then you start doubting. You're like, do you ever have that? Or is that just us narcissistic Brits? So, I mean, when, when I started up, I was very much looking at that generation of content creators that started at the same time that I did. And I had aspirational content creators that I enjoyed before I ever started that I looked up to. Uh, I mean, yourself and Martin among them. I was subscribed to your channel long before I started content creation. But my friends at the Spike Feeders as well, and a bunch of other, like Andrew, MTG Mudsta that we mentioned as well. Uh, I mean, I these are people that I had talked to and I had met before I ever start, started content creation. And I was subscribed to their channels and I was watching their content on a regular basis. So when I started, I said, that's where I want to be. I want to be there. I want to do that. I want to enjoy it as much as these people do. Uh, and I, I got a couple of months into it and I said, well, why am I not there already? Why do I not already have 10,000 subscribers? Why are my videos not get, getting thousands of views? And then I sat down and I talked with people on a, like on an actual insider relating basis about content. And the number one piece of advice a lot of people gave me that I hold to this day is don't don't care about the numbers. Don't compare your, yourself to someone else. If you want to look at your own numbers, look at your own numbers. Look at your own personal growth. That's the way to look at it. As long as you are growing uh, and continuing to grow, that's the metric you should be looking at. You should never be saying that person who is leagues away from where I am right now, why am I not there yet? That's toxic. That's what's going to discourage you. And uh, I, I know a few people that got into content uh, and very quickly said, why have you surpassed me already? What are you doing that I'm not doing? That's not the way to look at it. If you're getting into content creation to be popular, to grow a following, that's the wrong reason to get into content. You get into content because you enjoy it, because you're passionate about it, because you love it. Especially magic content. If you are passionate about this game, Make content. It doesn't matter if nobody watches it. If you are passionate about it, make the content you want to see and you want to make. The passion is what pulls people in. If you're passionate about something and you make something that is, to you, special, 
that you want to see a following will come with it. You don't have to look at what somebody else has done because they might be like years into the game. You got started uh, like over a year before I did and I've been watching your content since the beginning. And uh, I, I mean, I, I started out and I said, like these guys, I, I want to work with them. I want to co collab with them. I've been on your channel in gameplay before. You've been on mine with Let's Do a Brew. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. I gave up that like, I want to be there mentality. And instead, I want to do this because I want to do this. I want to do this because there are cool people to talk to. I want to do this because I enjoy it. I genuinely enjoy talking to people about the game and talking about the game and brewing. And as long as you have that passion, nothing else matters. That's a really good way of putting it. Um, some Ristic studies had a really similar thing that, which, which essentially- Lovely man, by the way. He's, oh, Absolutely he's amazing. Soul of the Earth. Uh, they said that um, someone gave them the um, advice that just make the best thing you physically can at that point and people will come to it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mm -hmm. when you look at his, when you, when you think about that and you look at the content he produces, damn, does that come through? Right, and, and Sam isn't the kind of content creator that is just hammering things over and over and over again. Like I, I, like you mentioned, I have been described as prolific because I make a lot of videos, I build a lot of decks, I talk about things a lot because that's the pace that I want to do. Sam releases like a video a month, but each one of those is like a thesis on its own. That man pours his heart and soul into all of his content and it is beautiful to see. And that's what I that's what I mentioned about passion. If you are passionate about something and you want to talk about it, build the content you want to build, make the content you want to make and the following will come. Uh, to quote uh, Field of Dreams, fantastic movie, build it and they will come. That is what content creation is about. If this is something that you want to see and you want to make, it doesn't matter if nobody watches it because the people that watch it are going to see that passion. C can I confess something? Please. I've never seen Field of Dreams. Uh, it, is, <laughs> it is a great movie. I, I mean, like, uh, it's not about cricket. It's about baseball. So <laughs> might not translate to that side of the pond. <laughs> but, no, no, Rounders. Rounders is our version. Of, well, Rounders was the game that baseball was based off of. It's very <laughs> okay. similar. But no one plays Rounders internationally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you're right with the whole content creation thing. Like every day, I always try and put and this is a little personally. I always try and put like an inspirational quote for the kids on board. And one of the ones I always repeat, and they always tell me, "Say, repeat this." I'm like, "Yeah, good, it's a good quote." Don't compare yourself to other people today. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Absolutely, absolutely. Words to live by, because uh, growth is personal. Growth is not competitive. And that, that's very important. You are not looking to surpass someone else. You are looking to surpass yourself. And whether you do that with baby steps or strides, as long as you are looking at your own personal growth and measuring against that, that is a healthy metric to look at. If you, if you say, I want to be better than that person, or you think to yourself in that narcissistic, egotistic way, I'm better than that person why do they have a bigger following than I am? Then you are in content for the wrong reasons. And you, sh you shouldn't be in content if it's, I can do better than that person. And you don't know, like some people, like we know one content creator who will remain completely nameless, started off content creation, had a massive background, 
in media creation and was given a platform by TCG to say, go do content creation and promote TCG Player. And strange enough, had massive success. And people will look at that person and be like, well, he's only been doing content creation for two months. Why is he so popular? It's like, you don't know the story behind it. That's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we've seen people get into content creation and immediately find a footing, find a following, take off. That's that's incredible. Good for them. You shouldn't compare your own personal success to someone else's. It's it's the wrong reasons. And as, as always, it is partially because of the Lord and Savior of the YouTube algorithm. Praise be their name. <laughs> well, look, if you, you've got to look at the background circumstances. I mean... We both work full-time day jobs, right? If we're looking at somebody else who might be in content creation full-time, right? Look at that as what kind of struggle have they put in to crank out a video every day, right? Look at the lack of financial support that they might have during that time as well. Uh, and good for them for finding something that they enjoy. Good for them for finding uh, an audience and a foothold and attraction. You shouldn't be saying, I can do better than that, or why am I not there yet? Again, completely yeah. wrong reason. It's that iceberg thing. It's like you see the tip of the iceberg, not the entire thing beneath it holding it up. It's like, right, you, you right. See the, and, and, you see the video uh, of 100,000 subs, not the hours, days that went into it to make it. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I mean, that's... That's about practicing empathy as well, which is big in our format in Commander and EDH. Uh, you, you need to think about what's going on behind the scenes and uh, see if you can relate or have that, that empathy to say, just good for them. Like they're, they're doing their thing. They're living their best life. There shouldn't be that, uh, that competitive streak to it it's fine if it's it's friendly and competitive if like you and that creator are going back and forth uh but if if it's out of spite and if you're growing resentful for somebody for being successful no celebrate other people's wins that's what we should be doing in content creation that's what we should be doing in commander like just in enjoy it for what it is stay in your own lane kind of thing and as long as you are are growing and as long as you are happy with what you are doing remain happy with it find the happiness always um all my personal heroes oscar wilde always said like because you always say like, oh, you're the best dinner guest ever we must have you all the time well, how are you so great to be everywhere it's like i say nothing i make the person i'm talking to feel like they're the most important person in the world i'm like <laughs> we should be doing that for each other all the time yes Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, build, build each other up. Like this is this is a community that absolutely turns up for everyone else. Like th this is a community that supports each other like none I've ever seen before, and that is the best part of it. You can you can go to somebody else's stream and you can see a dozen other content creators in chat that are there cheering other people on. That's what they should be doing. You can see all of these collabs of people working together because they're working to build each other up. They're working to promote each other and grow because this isn't a competitive, uh, like content creation isn't a competitive hobby, right? Magic might be a competitive hobby, yeah. right? But, but content creation is not competitive. It's not like you've got to be the best at whatever you do in content creation. No, 
be happy with what you do. Be passionate about what you do. And you can't ask for anything else. I remember this was this was years ago, and there was a very small content creator who unfortunately I've forgotten the name of, but I remember vividly in just messaging on a tweet at Josh Lee Kwai, how do you get the white things off the ends of the cards <laughs> for a video? And Josh Lee Kwai replies saying you'd yep. get them off yep. Scryfall. And I'm just yep. like Yep. I I think that is a problem with not just magic, but maybe just culture in general, that you don't expect the famous people to talk to the non-famous people when they're just and, people. Right, right. And and that's, that's one of the things that I learned early on as well when I started doing my, my Let's Do a Brew collab podcast was reach out to the people that you want to talk to. Chances are they'll sit down and they'll talk to you for an hour. Everybody loves this game. Everybody's passionate about it. Everybody wants to talk about it. And for the most part, people know no other subject better than they know themselves. So if you sit down and you want to talk to somebody about themselves, they will give you an hour's worth of content. If you want to sit down and you want to talk to something, talk to somebody about something that they're passionate about, be it magic or content creation, you're going to be able to fill that time. They're going to give you the time of day. And you, you mentioned like the, the little white corners on the cards. That was such a level up moment for me as a content creator to realize, hey, if you use a PNG rather than a JPEG, you get transparent corners on that. And I was like, oh my God, I have been spending like an extra 30 minutes per video cropping out those corners on every card. You have just sent saved me so much time. And like my our, our friends at... Uh, at Moxfield right now with the ability to now download all of the images, uh, all of the card images from a deck at the clip, click of a button. Such a time saver. Oh my God. It is a fantastic time to be alive and to be a content creator right now because things are getting so much easier. See, we put all of our deck lists on TCG Player previously and then I found out, I, this was, I'm late to the game with Moxfield. I only found out about a month ago about Moxfield properly. And I put on, and Martin said, it's like, no, no, we, we'll, we'll keep on using play because that's what we know. So he's like, no, no, man, we're going to sit down, and I'm going to show you how absurd this <laughs> yes. is. Right. It's great. Right, right. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. I've been working with Moxfield for, uh, oh, God, a little over six months now, and they are incredible. They they take suggestions. They immediately turn them around and build them into their system. It is it's incredible. We have we have such amazing tools at our disposal right now. And I, I mean, there are tools and there are resources at our disposal. Like you can reach out, like you mentioned, and talk to other content creators and they would be happy to be like, hey, here's a couple of tips that were level up moments for me. If you're getting into this, here's a good head start for you. Here's something that you don't have to learn the hard way because everybody, everybody remembers struggling Initially, everybody remembers those hardships initially, and they want to make sure that you don't have to struggle through that. You, they want to make sure that you don't have to go through those same hoops that they had to jump through. I, I mean, I, I recently just talked to a few people about like, hey, how do I promote my channel? Uh, and I like, I, I had some people that, again, I've collabed with that I, I respect and make fantastic content that I follow. And they've reached out to me and they've said, hey, do you have any tips for how we can grow our audience a little bit, how we can promote our content? I am more than happy to sit down with people and be like, hey, look, here's five simple things. And like, I, I'm going to be like super listicle, clickbaity, like five simple things to grow your audience kind of thing. Have the, have the uh, but no, like, I sit down with them thumbnail. And I'm like, 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. The pog face and the thumbnail. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm more than happy to sit down with people and be like, hey, look, here, here's some things that I learned the hard way. This gives you a leg up. Go nuts. Go crazy. Which people are always happy to do that. Like we're always happy to when people DM us is like, how do you do this or what's the deck for this or how is this meant to work and stuff like that. It's always lovely. Um, mm -hmm. I really out when me and Martin before COVID hit, we were meant to be going to Magic Fest in Liverpool, which didn't happen mm -hmm. because of COVID. Um, but we'd already got like cosplay stuff for the first time. Uh -huh. This was just after Theros Beyond Death came out. He was going to be Daxos. I was going to be Heliod. It was gonna. Right. We were gonna find someone who'd done Elspeth, and we we're gonna make a distracted boyfriend meme. It was gonna be great, <laughs> which obviously didn't happen. But we still got all of the stuff for the cosplayers up in a box up there, and we messaged like loads of cosplayers who we'd met once or twice before. I was like, "Hey, how do we do this?" Straight away, here's how you do all mm -hmm. these things, because especially in stuff like cosplaying or building a deck from scratch, like mm -hmm. it is a skill. And people want to talk about the skills they have, weirdly enough. Right. Well, and, and they want to help each other, too. Like I said, this community builds each other up. This is a community that wants to collab. This is a community that wants to ensure that other people enjoy their own hobbies, whether that be magic or whether that be cosplaying or whatever it is. Uh, again, like you, you'll never find a lack for somebody to impart what wisdom they have. Uh, and that's a fantastic part of this community. That's why I love it so much. Speaking of building people up, we do have a question from Twitter, oh. from the lovely Adam. Oh. oh, right. What is your favorite video you've ever made? Oh, okay. Uh, so <laughs> at this point in time, I think I've got like over 400 videos <laughs> on my channel. Uh, so... There's, there's quite a lot to go through at this point. But uh, I, I think just off the top of my head, uh, there's a relatively recent one that I put out that is a little bit of a departure from what I normally do. Normally on my channel, I talk about deck techs and deck builds, and I do tune-ups and combo videos and that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, somebody DM'd me after I posted a combo on Twitter uh, to ask me, like, hey, do you view putting together a combo like solving an algebra uh, algebra problem? And I, th I thought about it for a second, and I was like, you know, yes. Uh, and I was like, I, I don't think like I've ever put it in those terms, but that's exactly how I view it when I'm going through the steps is, you know, solve for A, solve for B, solve for C equals combo equals loop equals infinite whatever it might be uh and i i've i've had combos that i've posted before where wizards play design has commented on those combos and said we didn't find that combo during testing and i'm like oh oh, oh. oh. <laughs> excellent uh and like that that was a huge that honor for me uh but but what I did was I, I took that concept of how do I look at combos? How do I look at creating combos, solving combos, whatever it might be? How do I look at creating loops? And how do I put that into a method that other people might be able to relate to? 
because some people look at like the tens of thousands of cards in Magic the Gathering and they say, how do you find the card that does X, Y, Z? Or how do you know what combos with this? So I put out a video a couple of weeks ago about uh, solving combos and why it's getting harder. I think that's, that's what what I t actually titled it, was Solving Combos and Why It's Getting Harder. Uh, I'll, I'll send you the link for the show notes. But uh, <laughs> it, uh, it, it goes through my thought process in taking a commander or a card and what you need to create a repeatable loop. How do you get back to a zero state where you've profited something? Or you can profit something. So like you change the game state. Whether it be dealing a damage, making a mana, drawing a card, whatever it might be. And I walked through that entire process going through math and then substituting cards for unknown variables. And for the first time that was me putting down on paper and verbalizing how I think about magic interactions. And that was just like a personal eye opener for me. Uh, and it was one of my favorite things that I've put together is like, this is my brain in a video for everybody to see now. And that's again, a departure from what I normally do. Normally I'm like, Hey, card, a card, B do sing thing C. Right. Uh, but no, th this was, this was my, my thought process on paper. And then also talking about how wizards design is looking to stop two card combos in commander and how you need to start looking at three and four card combos if you want to do something that goes infinite with commander right if you want to create some kind of game ending loop in your decks you now need to look beyond what one card does it and now you need to look at what two cards or three cards do i combo with my commander in order to do it wizards is making it harder actively through design so here's how you can make your deck building and bruise just a little bit easier. So, Binge, why do you think Wizards are doing that? Why do you think they're trying to make, or actively not make new combos, their two cards? Well, because Wizards is now designing for Commander. Uh, they're now not just looking at a standard card pool when they're designing for standard. They're not just saying, this card is going to be in standard with these sets behind it and these sets ahead of it. We need to make sure there's not something broken in there. Now they're designing looking at the entire legacy card pool. And that's why it's getting harder, because now they're, they've got such a wide view on it. Designers right now, I do not envy at Wizards, because they need to have that encyclopedic knowledge that so few people have about how do we make a card without instantly creating some kind of combo that's going to immediately break Commander, because they're designing for Commander now, because Commander is the most popular format in the game. Which is incredible. That's mind-blowing on its own. But the fact that now even standard design thinks about Commander is why it's getting so much harder. I always find quite cool, like, the fact that, on one hand, like, what I think our story follows a lot of normal people. So it's because you start in standard, because you find out what it is, what's in standard, you play a standard, your deck then rotates, and you're like, oh, I liked playing with these cards. Guess where they can go? You only need one of them. Right, right. Yeah, and, and well, and the other thing is Wizards is like, hey, did you sit down and did you draft this new set? Hey, remember that legend that you drafted? Isn't that cool? What if you could play that legend all the time? There's a format for you. It's Commander, right? So it, it's very much like, hey, kid, first one to play, <laughs> and then they get their hooks into you, right? <laughs> God, that took a turn. Yeah. <laughs>
But no, you're completely right. It is a case of, especially with Commander, like it is such a different format to everything else. Like try try and convince someone in Modern or Pioneer not to kill you. It's not going to go well. Well, yeah, in, in a one-on-one -on -one format, it's everybody sits down and everybody knows what's going on. I am looking to beat you as quickly as possible. In in Commander, you've got three opponents. It's a self-balancing format, right? Like, one person can come out ahead, then they've got three people ganging up on them and trying to set them back. You can wheel and deal, and there's politi uh, there's politics and there's interaction. I, I told a story before. I went to a uh, Team Trios tournament before I started content creation, and I got to sit down across from pro players me and my team of like kitchen table magic players sat down across from channel fireballs pro team which i think was like uh uh pvvd efro uh sam black i think anyway uh so it was a, a team of three pros uh and uh, i sat down playing like legacy burn against uh mud uh piloted by efro and i think like we said two words to each other the entire game like we we played three rounds of magic and said like hi here you go sign this and i think like that's it the entire game commander can you imagine sitting down at a commander pod and not like joking with people or talking to them and like threat assessment or like what's going on that's why i love this format so much is i got so burned out of just being like a standard tournament grinder for so long i wanted to to joke with people like i'm, I'm very much a talkative outgoing extroverted person when i sit down across from an opponent i want to be like hey how you doing how's your day been how are you finding it what's your record so far how are you liking the standard environment like yada 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 uh and then like people will look at me like deer in the headlights, like, oh my God, this guy wants to have a conversation with me. I just want to beat him and move on, right? Like that, that, that does not happen in Commander. In Commander, you are friendly with each other. You talk about like, hey, what are your favorite cards? Like, what do you want to do? Look at that. Look at that shiny bling that you've got in your Commander deck. Like, that's fantastic. How much did that cost you? Like, really, like, it's, it's interactive and it's fun. And that's what the soul of this format is. And I couldn't imagine it being as, as dry and uninteractive as, like, a one-on-one -on -one format. No, I even... Even CDH, where it's meant to be hyper-competitive of we are going to hit you on turn two and you will die because we say so. Even that, <laughs> like the games of CDH I've played have been some of the funniest games in the world where we've had stacks like 10 cards long. And mm -hmm. even then it's like there's still that element of camaraderie and funniness to it. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I've played some CDH just recently, and it's one of the most fun games that I've had because not only is it like you're joking with people and you're talking about things, but uh, it's also like everything's balanced on the head of a pen. And it's like at any moment, it can go any way. And if somebody tries to go for it, the other three people at the table are like, what can you do to stop this? Can you stop this? How do we how do we get out of this position? Do they just win? Do you have anything? And it immediately goes into like crisis management mode. And it goes from like being fun and being like jovial to, okay, 
the the klaxons are firing in the background we're in code red right now let's get serious about this and shut this down and and i love it on honestly i i got into commander playing cedh uh i i have told the story before about my experience in commander being like a kitchen table arms race which I think a lot of people experience where it's like, hey, you sit down with like pre-cons and then you tweak and tune those pre-cons. Then you do a homebrew and it's like, okay, well, that person's homebrew is really good. What do I do to beat them? And then just that power level ratchets up until, oh my God, everybody's playing CEDH, uh, which is perfectly fine if that's what everybody wants. But at some point after a couple of years of me and my home pod doing that, we were like, can we just play like, fun goofy decks again and we're all like yes 100 percent. so like i i love both ends of the format i absolutely do i think that there are merits to all of them and i i encourage everybody to try out both sides of it as well whether you're a hardcore cdh player whether you're a hardcore casual player try out some of these because you might find something that you really enjoy yeah we're having i wouldn't say a problem but it's something a lot of people call it in our lgs where they've said the fact that the power level they feel is just ramping away not intentionally but everyone has had their decks for a while now people are now mm -hmm. putting in the old norbones smothering types um dockside extortionists and it's all just slightly inching and inching closer mm -hmm. and one of the things we did um because me and Mon, um are the tos for our wednesday nights and we've mm -hmm. got little um like planeswalker cards that um, have on them, like, a plus one is you've milled someone five cards. The next one is you've cast something from someone's graveyard. And they're additional points, so everyone tries to now nice. make slightly goofier decks. But you still can win, easily. But just a little incentive yep. to say, hey, you can win. Maybe be funny about it, though. Yes. Yeah, do it in a fun way. Do it in, in a way that somebody hasn't seen before. And I think that that's where I'm starting to fall in Commander is like, I don't want to build a deck that wins all the time. I want to build a deck that does something that somebody has never seen yeah. before. Like, the thing I keep seeing on CDH formats moment is that bloody massive red giant that's like seven mana that when you sacrifice an artifact, it becomes too cheaper. Drago? Oh, is it? Dargo. Oh, Dargo. Dargo. Yeah. I was yeah. like... Are you being serious? Like, is this a serious thing? Are you memeing all over the shop? What's happening? No, uh, no it is It is very much serious because treasures essentially discount his mana cost by three. Oh. So so he, he costs three mana if you sacrifice two treasures. Treasures right? were a mistake. Because he's... Yeah. So, so but, but like, it, it's very much one of those, uh, like... It, it was designed in the original Commander Legends, which is a year and a half old at this point. Uh, but now, modern design has leaned very heavily into treasures, which they didn't necessarily back then. Treasures were still kind of sporadic and kind of rare. That means that a card like that is worth revisiting because it makes it easier to get off to a very explosive start, or it makes it easier to... Uh, to to do the thing or to go infinite with it, especially once you get him out once, as long as you keep making one red mana, he's in, he's super easy to go infinite with. Like uh, Dargo, uh, once you cast him for one red mana and Phyrexian Altar is infinite. You get infinite death triggers, infinite ETB triggers. Because you've sacrificed him, he looks at him being sacrificed, 
and discounts his commander cost by two every time you sacrifice him. So you only need one red mana in order to complete that loop. And that's that's one of those things where people are like, so wait, I just need like an aristocrat's piece, my commander, and a sack outlet, and I go infinite? Yes, that is it. Uh, and, and I think that that's one of the things that as a brewer, I always keep in the back of my mind too, is like, how has new design in uh, how how does new design give new frame of reference to old design as well uh, look back at cards that were designed 20 years ago at this point and see if the mistakes of the past benefit the building of the future oh yeah there's not there's not a set that doesn't come out nowadays that doesn't break devoted druid um well, I mean, like, look, I, I've memed on that in my, like, my last four or five videos where I'm like, hey, look, it's a card that goes infinite with Devoted Druid. Like, honestly, there has been a half dozen of them in the last two or oh, three got, sets got, that go infinite. Like, literally just two decks that I literally own. We've got Miracle and Falco Spara, both of whom... Right. Different well, sets. And, and you've got Swift Reconfiguration, and you've got Luxior. Like, these are two, like, in, in the last two sets, or three sets, there's been four cards that go infinite with Devoted Druid. Like, it's it's crazy. And people are like, why is it a $6 common? This is why. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And that that's one of the things that, again, I, I look at when I'm building decks, too, is like, did something new break something old? Or does something old make something new broken, right? And that that's why uh, Wizards Design is now looking at Commander as why they're building cards or in mind when they're designing these cards is because they need to look at those that legacy card pool and say, did we break Devoted Druid again? Or is, is this Commander broken with this like almost 30-year-old card from Ice Age at this point? And... Honestly, it's it's a very high-level view that you need to have and a lot of knowledge that you need to have in your back I like pocket. to think that Gavin Verahy has a whiteboard behind his desk that just says, number of times Devoted Drew has been broken this year, puts another one on. Right, right. Uh, and, and that man, that man has, like his head is a, a like a rolodex of all of the cards in magic like you you talk to him and he will be like spinning through that in his head he knows he's everything just, i don't he's know just got how like i like to on say that loop. that's all he's got right, right right i i like to say that i've got like a near encyclopedic knowledge of cards in magic that man literally does like it is it is scary <laughs> We're coming to the end of our time, but as always, I'd like to ask two questions to every single guest, mm. and hopefully you're not going to say the same thing as Matt did, um, which we won't repeat. We're not going to repeat that filth. <laughs> not here. It's a, it's a family show. Which cards would you like to see unbanned in Commander? Or Carder? Uh, uh, okay. Uh, I, I have... I uh, said that this is a hill that I will die on, but I would love to see Biorhythm unbanned in Commander. Uh, I, I think that, that Biorhythm is one of the very rare spell-based potential win cons in green. Well, but for those who don't know, uh, what does Biorhythm do? So, so Biorhythm is an 8-mana sorcery that says uh, each player's life total is equal to the number of creatures they control. Which is the same ability that um, Shaman of the Forgotten Ways has. That's right, the ferocious ability on Shaman. Yes, that's right, that's right. Uh, so that's like, that's the biorhythm we have at home kind of thing. But 
But but Biorhythm itself, I feel, is relatively harmless. For eight mana, right, it's not necessarily a game ender. It might be eight mana, you maybe eliminate a player, but it's definitely eight mana, the game's ready to end. And uh, I think that that's perfectly fair in a format that is now looking to end roughly around turn six to seven on average. Uh, and... I, I have had this conversation with members of the CAG and members of the RC, uh, and they've said largely it's because green is the colors where you can get this out faster than everybody else can. Or there are instances where green would be able to uh, float enough mana to board wipe and then cast Biorhythm and create a draw in Commander. And, I mean, like, for if you want to do that, you're looking at, like, 12 maybe 11 at least mana to do something like that i think that that in my opinion again i am not on the keg uh i have i have no say in the matter but in my opinion biorhythm is completely harmless and by unbanning it it opens up new deck building options for green because green especially mono green the only way that green has to win is helix pinnacle which is the enchantment that says put 100 charge counters on it when the game in your upkeep, or Biorhythm. Those are the only two non-creature-based ways to win in green, and one of them is banned. So I would love to see, like, green Spellslinger decks happen. I would love to see, like, a new pivot to this. I don't think it would be an immediate staple. It's an 8-mana sorcery. Right? I don't think that it would be oppressive. I don't think people would uh, maliciously use it to create draws in games because we just had, uh, what was the obliterate or whatever it is, uh, unbanned as well. Uh, and nobody, like, that's not breaking the format, and that sets everybody's life total to one, right? Uh, I, Worldfire, sorry, that's the one. Um, but, yes, uh, but I, I think that personally... Biorhythm is completely harmless in our format. Uh, there might be instances where, hey, it's eight mana, eliminate two people from the game kind of thing. But it's, it's like at eight mana, you should be looking at being able to eliminate somebody from the game. If you drop an eight mana Comet Storm on somebody, you're probably going to eliminate them. If you pump eight mana into a uh, Crackle with Power, you're probably going to knock somebody out. So I, again, I think it's harmless. Exactly, and and nobody nobody cries about Crater Hoof coming down and ending a game. Everybody says it's the most classic win con in the format, and it it will literally knock people out. Like you can't, you almost can't drop Crater Hoof and not eliminate people from the game. Biorhythm might like drop everybody to one or two life, right? In some in some instances, it's gonna be like, hey, you drop this player from forty to ten life, whatever. A, a Soren Markov does that at six mana, right? I, I think, again, my personal opinion, the hill that I will die on, Biorhythm can be unbanned completely harmlessly. Yes, in a heartbeat, I would ban Ristic Study. Uh, yes, yeah, I, I, I have said time and time again that I think Ristic Study is a problem in our format because, A, it was designed around one-on-one uh, -on -one formats and in one-on-one -on -one formats the only person that you have to blame for feeding a ristic study is yourself right 
in multiplayer formats, if one opponent at the table doesn't pay their taxes on Ristic Study, you've snowballed the player with the Ristic Study incredibly. Two people can diligently pay their taxes on Ristic Study, and if one person doesn't, you've you've ended the game. Like you you have given somebody somebody an insurmountable leg up in terms of resources in the game. Not only that, but it is uh, very pardon the pun, taxing, to keep track of all of these triggers on every spell cast. It, it, and, is, a, it is a meme and, of, do you pay the one? Exactly, exactly. But also, it's a meme of how many mysteristic study triggers have you had as well, right? And I think that, that just that level of bookkeeping is, isn't healthy for our format, and it's a card that was not designed with a multiplayer format in mind. And... Uh, in that instance, I think that it is a card that single-handedly breaks the commander experience and turns it into a king-making experience. The, do, do you feed into the person with the Ristic Study and essentially win them the game? And nine times out of ten, you're going to sit down on a pod where one person is like, I will never pay for Ristic Study. And at that point, you're like, well, they've just drawn this player ten additional cards. How do we come back from that? and I will have people scream at me in the comments, if Ristic Study is a problem, just run more removal. Look, if if there is a removal piece being used on a Ristic Study, okay, if it's not used immediately, somebody is still paying three mana to probably draw three or four or five cards. And if you don't have that removal in hand when that Ristic Study is cast, you might be looking at three or four turn cycles before it gets removed. And even one turn cycle where nobody is paying their taxes or one person is paying their taxes on Ristic Study, the game is out of control already. You have already snowballed one person far beyond catch-up. At that point. So I think Ristic Study is overall, in my opinion, again, opinion of Commander Mechanic, uh, toxic for the format and should be banned. I have stopped including it in all of my decks, and I encourage people to think without using Ristic Study. See, I include Ristic Study in every one of my decks because I'm a bad person, but I know for <laughs> a fact there are two people from the top of my head who are in our playground yes, that I know if I sit down and I play Ristic Study, I know that before they wake up that morning, they're not going to pay the tax for it, hands down. 100%. And yeah, you are right. If, if like Divination is three mana, draw two in blue. And there's never been anything above that for three mana at a sorcery speed. Like there's everything above that is four mana, draw two, uh, draw two at instant speed, or there's like draw three yeah. for four mana instant speed. But you have a condition. Yeah, Ristic Study. Right. right. There are a few where it's like draw three for three at instant speed, and then discard two unless you discard like a certain card type, enchantment, artifact, basic land, whatever it might be. Uh, but for for Ristic Study to just be like three mana, I'm going to draw seventy cards this game. Like, I think that it, it is format-breaking. It is one of those cards that is, at this point, uh, so ingrained in people's thoughts that the moment you sit down to make a blue deck, you include Ristic Study. There's there's no thought process behind it anymore. It is just... Like, you, you have people that sit down in pods, and before anybody reveals what they're playing, you'll have people that say, hey, if you're playing Ristic Study, I am never going to pay the one. 
And at that point, it's a race to see who can get their Ristic study out first in those instances because they never need to worry about resources again. And I think that that breaks this format, breaks it wide. Well, in open. regards to that, would, would you not then say that something like a smothering tide is not similar? So there is a very big difference between a mana and a card. Okay? Uh, a mana lets you pay for the cards. If you don't have the cards, then that mana sits around and does nothing. The cards give you options. The cards represent possibility, chance, and choice. And there's a lot more that goes behind that than it does to a mana. For instance, uh, Ristic Study could draw you a Lotus Petal. A Lotus Petal is basically a treasure. Okay? Smothering Tithe for four mana with a tax of two means that every turn or every time somebody draws a card, you draw and play a Lotus Petal. If your entire deck was Lotus Petals, would you win the game? I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I am a person who has played games against uh, a Nevmizic control player. Not Nevmizic, it was the Jeskai one. Some Jeskai control deck. And we just didn't mm -hmm. pay for the Smiling Tide because someone on the end step went Sphinx's Rev for seven, and we always went, there was literally no point. You, you may as well have an infinite mana now. And he didn't win well, that game and, because the mana, he drew three lands. So the mana didn't help well, him. Well, exactly. Exactly, exactly. And and with Ristic Study, every card drawn represents a way to win the game, a way to deal with what's on board, more mana generation, whatever it might be. And if you've got one person at the table who isn't paying the tax, suddenly the other two people are being like, well, why am I the only one paying the tax? If they're still drawing like three or four cards a turn off of this one guy at the table, I'm going to stop paying my taxes. Okay, well, now he's drawing 21 cards a turn cycle, right? Whatever it might be. Like, it, it, it snowballs a game ridiculously, and unless everybody is on the same page, and bless the CEDH community because they are the ones that are like, don't feed the fish, Mystic Remora, right? You, you don't feed the fish. You, you pay for your Ristic Study triggers. Everybody knows that resources are deadly, in a game of magic. And if you are giving somebody that those cards over and over again, you're drawing them closer to assembling a combo, winning the game, dealing with everything on board. And it, it's just, it is a ridiculous card in our format that breaks the known bounds of this format. And if you look at the existing banned list, then there are a lot of cards on that list that are banned because they are broken in the format of Commander based on the number of turns people take, based on the number of upkeeps there are, like based on the number of players in the game, whatever it is, there, there's a lot of this card was not designed with multiplayer formats in mind. Ristic Study is a perfect example of that, and I think Ristic Study is a perfect example of a card that should be banned because it doesn't work with the format's rules. Well, I think as long as uh, Josh Lee quiets on the CAG, that's never going to happen. But it is, it is a lovely thought. I would be very poor. I'd be much yeah. poorer if that happens, but it would be a lovely thought. Look, look, uh, you, you had mentioned that a lot of LGS playgroups get pushed towards homogenization and a higher power level because there are just good cards that they include in their decks. Ristic Study is a card that people include in their decks because they can then forsake all other card draw in a deck. You get a Ristic Study out, 
And unless it's removed and removed immediately, it's one of those cards that is just going to make up for your the rest of your deck's shortcomings. You have to put no other thought into how much card draw do I include, how many resources am I generating. It's how quickly can I get Rhystic Study out. Uh, and it, it, the fact that it's seen in higher power level formats as well goes to show that it being included and being able to be included in casual decks as well, where people don't have that strict mentality of I'm always going to pay the one, just means that it is not a card that should, excuse me, that should be available and should be included in this format. I can't agree because I am a bad person, but I will honor your opinion. <laughs> I'll put it in. Thank you. Right, right. And and look, look, I, I, I understand that people are going to be like, well, I play Rhystic Study, so I want it in the format. But if you take that, you know, 20,000 foot view of the format and you remove yourself from it and you look at, how cards affect the format, uh, how cards affect deck building, how cards affect play experience. I think that Rhystic Study is my number one with a bullet of which card is actively detrimental to the format. Listen, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. It has been lovely to hear you be so evangelical about banning <laughs> Rhystic Study and unbanning Virus and everything else. Look, let it let it not be said that I am not passionate. <laughs> Everyone else, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next Sunday with another Fiendish podcast. As always, I have been Alex. Thank you to our fabulous guest. And we'll see you all next time. Bye.